Well, good evening, Hallows Church. My name is Jeff, and I serve as one of the pastors here, focused primarily up at our North Seattle Expression that's been gathering together now since last February. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's been an encouraging journey for us. We have much to be grateful for, um, and it's, uh, so we're stepping into the, f- the future by faith up there, as you guys are here, and it's been a, it's been a wonderful journey. Uh, It's always good to be back here, though, in Fremont with you in this way as we open our Bibles together to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 12, the passage we heard uh, read just a couple of moments ago. So let's head over in that direction and we'll dive right in. Now, one of the first novels that I read as as kind of a young boy, one of the first uh, really kind of thick novels that I read was uh, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. And I remember really enjoying that book at the time. It opened my mind in some new ways. It was, uh, it was a wonderful book to read. And now as an adult and as a Christian uh, man, as I consider that book, as I think about that book again, I appreciate all the more the creativity in it and the imagination uh, in it and the many compelling uh, spiritual themes that Tolkien, who was himself a Christian man, wove into this story and other stories that he wrote too. At the beginning of this book, The Hobbit, what you find is that one of the main characters, Bilbo Baggins, he had a pretty simple life. He had a a pretty comfortable and predictable life too in his home in the Shire where he lived. But one day, all that changed. One day, out of the blue, this mysterious white-haired man paid a surprise visit to Bilbo Baggins. And little did Bilbo know at the time that his life would never be the same again. This white-haired man, after uh, exchanging a few brief pleasantries, he, he turned to Bilbo and got right down to business. He said to Bilbo, I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure, an adventure that I am arranging. And it's proving difficult for me, he said, to find others who will join me. Now, Bilbo, who was already somewhat suspicious of this visitor, he responded pretty quickly, and he said, well, I should think so in these parts. He said, you see, we are plain and quiet folk here, and we have no use at all for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things they are, he said. And Bilbo started shuffling through some papers on his table, not really liking the direction of this conversation and hoping that this old man would get the hint and just go away. But Gandalf did not go away. He, he stood there leaning on his staff and gazing in the direction of Bilbo until Bilbo nervously broke the silence by, by saying, Sir, again, we do not want any adventures here. Thank you very much. Perhaps you should try over the hill or across the water. Now, as this conversation uh, continued, Bilbo came to realize who this white-haired man uh, was. He realized that this This man standing before him was the legendary wandering wizard named Gandalf. And Bilbo was somewhat surprised by this, and he said, he said, you're not really that Gandalf, are you? Not the Gandalf who used to tell tall tales at parties about dragons and goblins and giants and the rescue of princesses. Not the Gandalf who was responsible for so many going off into the blue on on mad adventures. Bilbo said, Gandalf, don't you, you do know, don't you, that you used to upset things quite badly in these parts once upon a time? 
But I had no idea, he said, that you were still in business. Gandalf said to Bilbo, yes, I am indeed, and I have an adventure just for you, Bilbo, if you will, if you will join me. Bilbo paused for a long moment before kind of holding his ground and finally saying rather abruptly, uh, sorry, but I do not want any adventures, thank you. None at all, in fact. Good day, sir. And with that, Bilbo ended the conversation, at least for that moment, by slamming the door on Gandalf. Now, that wasn't the end of things between these two, of course. Bilbo, uh, he was skeptical at first, to be sure. He was a cautious and calculated hobbit most of the time, but, but Gandalf was persistent and he was persuasive in his pursuit of Bilbo Baggins, and he would eventually win Bilbo, Bilbo over, and Bilbo would agree to join him on this very unknown and very uncertain uh, adventure ahead. Bilbo had just been minding his own business, living a quiet and comfortable life, and now everything that he thought he knew about life and about his purpose in it was about to be flipped on its head entirely. He was about to be swept up, you see, in a very big and very uh, beautiful story where there was much at stake, a story of good and evil, a story of victory and defeat, a story of love and war, a story of supernatural rescue, and a very unlikely hero's after all, who would have thought that this insignificant little hobbit from this insignificant little uh, shire might have such a significant role to play in a story that was so much bigger than himself? But that's exactly what you see happening as this story unfolds across the pages of this novel called The Hobbit. Now today, as we continue our journey in Hebrews chapter 11, we'll be talking about the story of Abraham, the, the father of our faith, as many call him. And as we do, there's a very real sense in which we're going to see uh, in this man Abraham a very unlikely hero with a very unlikely role to play in a very big story with very big implications. And as we look at Abraham today, I hope to show you that this was a man who uh, let go of much for God. He left behind many things, but he nevertheless did not look back. He did not let his past control or uh, defined, define him as he followed God and as he walked with God. But not only that, Abraham also did not allow his present circumstances to control or define him either, even when, as verse 8 tells us, he had no idea at times where he was going at all. He didn't look back at the past. He didn't look around at the present. No, verse 10 tells us that Abraham, he, he looked ahead. It says he looked forward. Abraham, you see, he had a, a forward-looking faith. And it's because he had a forward-looking faith that he was able to live a very big life for God. And so let's explore that together and, and see what we can learn from Abraham's story of faith today. And I'd like to draw out of this passage and from the story of Abraham three features, three characteristics or three marks so to speak, of the types of forward-looking faith that Abraham shows to us in the Bible. A forward-looking faith, faith first listens humbly to God's call. It also leaves behind the false and the fleeting. And finally, it le leans boldly and expectantly toward what is to come. 
First, a forward-looking faith listens humbly to God's call. Abraham comes onto the scene for the first time in the Bible in Genesis uh, chapter 12 at a time really when the fate and the future of the human race seemed uh, somewhat unclear. You see, sin had entered the picture and it had deceived and divided the human heart. Sin had entered the picture and it had deceived and divided the human race, really, and it was not clear at all by the time you get to Genesis chapter 12 what the path forward might look like for a fallen humanity. God had hinted at certain promises in Genesis chapter 3 that he would uh, somehow set right what sin had broken, but it was not clear at all how that might happen or when that might happen or, or through whom that might happen. But what we're going to see with this man Abraham is that in many ways it was going to begin with him. In fact, it is through this man Abraham, beginning in Genesis chapter 12 and going from there, that that God begins to unfold for us an incredible storyline of rescue and redemption, a story of good and evil, of love and war, a story with much at stake, and a story with very unlikely heroes. And it all began one day out of the blue when a very unexpected visitor showed up in Abraham's life and he invited Abraham to join him on a great adventure that he was arranging. And as far as we can tell, Abraham did not see this coming. Many scholars believe that Abraham had probably never heard much at all about the one true God, Yahweh, before God showed up in his life on that day. In fact, we're told in Joshua chapter 24 that Abraham's father and Abraham's family, they served and worshipped other gods. They served and worshipped false gods. And so one thing that seems quite clear as we consider this story of faith uh, today is that Abraham did not seek out God. He was not looking for God. Rather, God came looking for him. God singled out Abraham. He He sought out Abraham because he had certain plans for Abraham. And so God initiated this, not Abraham. And friends, we must not miss this because the very same is true for each one of us, right? You being a Christian, it's it's not your own doing, right? It's his doing. Before God showed up in your life and in my life, we were serving God. False gods, too, in one way or another, and yet he came for us anyways, and he sought us out. In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus would say, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In every story of faith, you see God as the gracious initiator. He was with Abraham, and he has been ever since. And God singled out Abraham and called Abraham, not because of Abraham, but but in spite of Abraham. God chose him and called him as an act of love and as an act of grace. In fact, if you're paying attention as you read the story of the Bible, Abraham is just one of uh, a very long list of individuals in the Bible who were pursued by God and called by God, not because of who they were or what they had accomplished, but because of who God is and because of what God intended to accomplish in them and and through them. We're actually told very little about Abraham as his story of faith begins, other than the fact that one day uh, 
the Lord showed up. He appeared to Abraham, and we're told he called Abraham. And what we're going to see is that with Abraham and with every, every person since, when God calls a person, he calls them out of something, but he also calls them into something too. And we see that in the very first encounter between Abraham and the Lord in Genesis chapter 12 in the first few verses there. There we're told that the Lord said to Abraham, go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now those are some pretty big promises, especially when you consider that Abraham was a very old man, and when you consider that his wife Abraham was a very old and a very barren woman, and they had no children of their own to speak of, no descendants of any sort, and so where would this great nation come from that God is speaking of? God did not really provide any details about how these things would happen at all. He just said that, that they will happen. And he was basically saying to Abraham, I want you to live as if my promises are true. I want you to live as if these things are going to happen no matter what it looks like, no matter uh, how you feel, no matter what your circumstances may be trying to tell you. And not only did God make some big promises to Abraham, he made some very uh, big requests of Abraham too. He said, if you're going to step into my story, I need you to let go of certain things. I need you to leave behind certain things. I need you to leave behind the life you're used to. I need you to leave behind the familiar and the comfortable. I need you to leave behind yourself in many ways. And I need you to be willing to move into a future with me that you will not be able to see or control. And in verse 4, chapter 12 of the book of Genesis, we're told that Abraham, he went as the Lord had said. Now that's interesting. And so how did, how did that just happen? Abraham had just met God for the very first time, it would seem. And God said, go. He said, get out. He said, leave it all behind and trust me. And Abraham says, okay. He says, all right, let's do this. You see, the call of God came down upon Abraham's life that day. And when that happens, it changes a person. The call of God can change the course of a person's life in the blink of an eye. And it seems that's exactly what was happening with Abraham on that day. And so, friends, you don't become a Christian by being raised a certain way. You don't become a Christian because your parents are or by attending church. You don't become a Christian by going through a class or reading through your Bible or even by getting baptized. You become a Christian because at some point, in some way, you have heard the call of God and it has aroused your heart to a new reality that the God of this universe is calling you to himself, and he's inviting you into his story. One of the great preachers of the 20th century, at least uh, for me, is a British man named David Martin Lloyd-Jones. 
Now, for several decades in the mid-1900s, Lloyd-Jones, he led a large congregation at the famous uh, Westminster Chapel in central London, very close to the Buckingham Palace. And one of the very interesting things about Lloyd-Jones is that he was not always a pastor. You see, before Lloyd-Jones became a pastor and a preacher, his life was on a very different uh, trajectory. He was a doctor, in fact, and he was, he was a young and promising physician at St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London. He was a rising young star on the London medical scene, and he was on his way to the top. He knew where he wanted to go, and he was getting after it in every way. But one day, something entirely unexpected happened to Lloyd-Jones, and this thing that happened to him, it shook him to, its, to his core, and it really disrupted his soul, and it really made him rethink what his, what his life was all about. You see, Lloyd-Jones had this colleague at the hospital where he worked who was, who was quite a bit older than him and, and quite a bit further along in his career as well. In fact, this man was one of the chiefs of medicine at that hospital, so he held a very prominent position. He was a very uh, powerful man, and Lloyd-Jones kind of knew of this guy more than he really knew this guy but he admired and respected this man greatly and what he had accomplished. Now, Lloyd-Jones knew that, he knew through the grapevine that this colleague of his had been dating a particular woman, and he had been dating her for a little while, and he also knew that there had been rumors of marriage between these two. But he also knew that just a couple days prior, this woman had very suddenly and very unexpectedly taken ill, and she had died. And so it really caught Lloyd-Jones by surprise when this doctor showed up knocking on his door, uh, the door of his chambers at the hospital where he worked, not long after this woman had died. Now, ordinarily, a guy like this, the chief of medicine at this hospital, he would not ordinarily show up at the uh, place where the young resident physicians lived at this hospital, but he showed up that day at Lloyd-Jones' door, and he asked if he could come in and sit by the fire. Lloyd-Jones said, of course, come in. And he said the man went over and he sat down in a corner looking quite despondent. And and Lloyd-Jones says he just sat there staring into the fire. It seemed to Lloyd-Jones that this man mostly wanted to get away for a moment and just to uh, be alone where nobody could really find him. And Lloyd-Jones said that this man sat there in silence, staring into that fire and he never said a word He never took his eyes off that fire. He didn't move from that spot for over two hours. Not a word, not a look, not a move of of any sort. And Lloyd-Jones said as he watched this man in those moments, he said it had a profound effect on him. Listen to how he describes it. He says, it shook me to my foundations. I saw the vanity of all human greatness. I realized all the success in the world, all the status in the world, all the education in the world, all the money in the world was insufficient to face life. Lloyd-Jones would later say that on that day as he watched that man gazing into the fire, there was a sense in which God came into his life and was dealing with him personally in a way that he did not know was possible. And Lloyd-Jones was forever changed as a result. He said that for the first time, he heard the call of God on his life powerfully in that moment. 
when the call of God comes into your life, it makes you think about your life in ways that you don't normally think about your life. Lloyd-Jones would later say that before that happened, he was a Christian by upbringing only, really, and that his life changed quite abruptly and quite radically when he heard and when he heeded the call of God on that day. But we must be careful as we think about this because the Bible is clear that God's call comes in different ways at different times in different people, sometimes very dramatically so, other times much more subtle. A guy by the name of C. Everett Koop was the Surgeon General of the United States several years back, and in a biography that was written about him, the author tells the story about how um, when Koop lived in Philadelphia, his wife dragged him to an evening service at a church near their home one night, and then she kept wanting to take him back again and again each week. He reluctantly agreed and would later say that the only reason he did so was really to appease his wife and really to kind of get her off his back. But get this, very interestingly, about a year after he began attending that church with his wife, he said, I realized that, that at some point over the course of that year, I had become a Christian. My heart was changed. I was different on the inside. I was asking different questions. God had done something inside of me, he said. C. Everett Koop heard the call too. He said that there was no doubt about that, but he had no recollection of exactly what day or week or month that call actually came to him. He just knew that he had heard it, and he knew that it had changed him, and he knew that it was continuing to, to change him. The call of God comes down in different ways at different times in different people. It can come through an experience or an encounter. It can come through an illness or a tragedy. It can come through a relationship or a book. It can come through a friend or even a foe. The Bible shows us this quite clearly too, doesn't it? We see different ends of this same sort of spectrum of how God reveals uh, his initiating grace to his people and, and draws them to himself. In Acts chapter 9, Paul was knocked off his horse and blinded by Jesus in a dramatic encounter on the road to Damascus. On the other hand, in Acts chapter 16, we're told that with this woman named Lydia, we're told that the Lord opened her heart so that she could understand the things that Paul was saying to her about Jesus in that moment. It's like the difference between a person standing in a mist and slowly getting wet and a person standing under a waterfall and becoming completely drenched from head to toe in a moment's time. In both cases, in the end, they are fully wet, but their experience of how they became wet could not have been more different. But however that call comes in, each and every time, it is an equally supernatural event and an equally miraculous example, really, of the initiating grace and mercy of our God loving us and pursuing us in spite of us because he has a plan for us, too, just like he did for Abraham. And when the call comes, when the call of God comes in, it will disturb and disrupt the soul in one way or another, it should anyways. You will begin asking new questions. You should be asking 
new questions about why you're doing what you're doing and what it all means and, and what it's all for. But not only does the call of God often disturb or disrupt the soul in one way or another, it also comforts the soul at the very same time as you realize that God is writing the greatest love story ever told and that you're being invited by his grace to step into that story with him and with his people. And by stepping into his story, you really have to begin to acknowledge that it's, that it's no longer about you and your story. This is actually quite liberating, I believe, because this means that you and I can finally give up trying to be the hero of our own stories because the story of God already has one and his name is Jesus. And Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27, that those who are mine, they hear my voice when I call them and they come to me and they follow me. And so I'd like to ask you this evening, have you done that? Have you heard the call of God? Are you listening? How did he first call you? And how is he calling you today? Because he does continue to call us out of ourselves and into something new on an ongoing basis. And if you've sensed him calling you recently in certain ways, but you haven't yet responded to him, Perhaps you're here today for that very reason, to answer him, to accept his invitation, to look forward and to step forward by faith into the direction he's calling you right now. But not only does a forward-looking faith listen humbly to God's call, but also as you heed that call, as you respond to that call, God will use that call to show you again and again that everything in this world, everything that uh, you and I tend to build our lives upon apart from Him is unstable and insecure. Verse 10 tells us that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose designer and builder is God. And friends, this means that the call of God is something that comes in and begins to show you that nothing in this world has foundations. The call of God, you see, it comes in and begins to expose the various false and fleeting foundations that you and I tend to base and build our lives on. And it begins to challenge us to, to loosen our grip on those things and, and to let go of those things because ultimately they will let us down. In verse 8, God called Abraham to, to go out, and Abraham heard the call, and it says he obeyed. It says he went out. And get this, it says he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham left behind everything he knew, and he went out, even though he did not know where he was going. Friends, do you ever feel like you really want to follow God, and you're really trying to follow God, but you have no idea where you're going? Do you feel that way today, perhaps? If you do, I want to encourage you from this passage that for God's people, it's a hard thing feeling that way, but it's not necessarily a bad thing to feel that way. In fact, it seems it's been that way from the very beginning. We don't typically like to make big life changes and big life uh, choices without adequate planning and plotting and, and preparation. 
Most of us need to see where we're jumping to before we actually make the leap. But you see, with Abraham, just as with us, God calls us at times to trust him, and he calls us at times into action with with what seems to be incomplete information. And he does so, I think, for a reason, and in many cases, for our own good. Abraham didn't know where he was going, so he had no way of thinking through any sort of long-range plan. And what this did is it placed him in greater dependence on God, which is a good thing, but which can be a very hard thing, too. Do you know that once Abraham got the call in Genesis chapter 12, he heard the call, he obeyed the call, he knows God now, he steps into relationship with God, so you So you might think his life goes pretty smoothly from there, right? But actually, as you keep reading, you see that that wasn't the case at all. Things were just getting started with Abraham and his story of faith in Genesis chapter 12. But let me me summarize for you how the rest of Abraham's life went. One commentator says it went something like this. God showed up to Abraham one day and said, I want you to go. I want you to leave this place you call home. And Abraham says, where to and what for? And God says, I'll tell you later. Right now, just go. Then God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. And Abraham says, where? How? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wander. Then God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. And Abraham says, how? When? I'm 99 years old and my wife is barren. And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wait. Finally, God comes and says, Abraham, take your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Take him to the top of that mountain and and offer him up to me. Abraham says, but Lord, why? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just take him up to the top of that mountain. And so what in the world is going on here? Why would God do these things with Abraham? I do think that through all of these things, the Lord was at work in Abraham's heart. He was putting him in a greater position of dependence on God. I think God was dealing with Abraham in this way and using Abraham's circumstances at every turn to to continue to loosen his heart's attachment to the false and fleeting foundations of this world. One crisis after another came into Abraham's life and God was using them every step of the way to wean Abraham away from building his life on the wrong things. Does that sound at all familiar to you today? Have you sensed God using your life circumstances at times to show you that putting your faith in things of this world is like building your life on shifting sand. If the foundation of your life is your family, if the foundation of your life is your career, if it's your looks, if it's your spouse, if it's your money, you need to understand that given enough time, each and every one of those things will be taken from you in one way or another without any doubt and without any exceptions. The world has no lasting foundations. Abraham learned that over time, and that's why he was able to go out without knowing where he was going. 
He knew he couldn't trust himself. He knew he couldn't trust his circumstances, but he did know that he could trust his God. It was a process, to be sure, with Abraham. He did stumble and falter in some significant ways along the way. But Romans chapter 4 tells us that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And I think one of God's objectives for each one of us in this life is to increasingly see through and let go of the false and flimsy foundations that we we may be building and basing our lives on. And what this means for you and I is that over and over again, God will ask you to let go of the things in your life that you are looking to in the wrong ways for your significance and for your security apart from him. That's what God was doing with Abraham, I think, and that's what he does with us too. He will over and over again in our lives lovingly caution us. Don't build your life there. That has no foundations. Let that go. Let me, let me take that from you. That's false. That's, that's fleeting. Don't center your life on that. Shift the center of gravity of your life away from anything in this world. Shift your foundations to me and my word and the future that I promised to you. God says, if I am not your stability and your security, you will ultimately have neither stability or security, no matter how secure or stable you may feel in your life today. And so what false foundations are you building your life upon in this season of life? What is God asking you to loosen your grip on today or to perhaps leave behind altogether? And how are you responding to him? So we've seen that a forward-looking faith listens humbly to God's call. It leaves behind false and flimsy foundations. And finally, a forward-looking faith also leans expectantly and boldly towards what is to come. God made some very big promises to Abraham and he makes some very big Promises to us too, promises of a future beyond imagination that should both inform and energize how we live in the here and now. What Abraham did was he didn't just look at life, he looked ahead, he looked forward. That was his secret. He was able to live his life for decades, living in tents, wandering like an exile in a foreign land, not knowing where he was going in the short term at least, because he knew where he was going in the long term. Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose designer and builder is God. And to be honest, that's quite amazing when you consider that that Abraham had so very little of God's revelation in comparison to what we have today. He did know some things. God did tell him that that one of his descendants was eventually going to come and was going to, going to bless the entire human race. So Abraham knew in some general way about the coming of a Messiah, the coming of the Savior. Jesus himself would acknowledge this much. He would say this much in John chapter 8 where he says that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. 
And so Abraham had a general knowledge that a Savior was coming, and he was looking forward towards that. He knew someone and something was coming, and he had hope on that basis. And he lived by faith on that basis as well. We know a lot more than Abraham did, don't we? We have the Bible. We can see our Savior more fully. And that should fuel us all the more to live meaningful lives of faith. You see, when God calls you, when you're called to go out and step out in faith, to let go of yourself, to to let go of your life for God, you and I, we have the benefit of seeing the one who went out first for us, who stepped out for us, and who let go of his life for us in a most profound way. No matter where God may be asking you to go, no matter what he may may be asking you to leave behind, it does not compare to what Jesus left behind. Jesus, he went out too, didn't he? He left behind everything. He left the safety and the security of his father's home. He went out when he didn't have to. And eventually, on the cross, he left his father's heart too. The father turned his back on Jesus as as part of the payment for your sin and for my sin. And so if you're a Christian and if you're struggling because you think God is calling you away from your home, if you think God is calling you away from your money, you think God is calling you away from your family or your friends, it's nothing that can be be compared to the homelessness and the poverty and the fatherlessness that Jesus Christ experienced on our behalf. And he experienced those things on our behalf so that in an ultimate sense, you and I will never have to. And so that we too can lean boldly and expectantly toward the future together, toward the city with foundations built and designed by God where where all things are made new, where there is no sin, no suffering, no death, and where the old has passed away and, and the new has come. God's story is an epic adventure. It's the greatest love story ever told. It's the story to which all the other stories that are compelling to us are pointing. And he is calling you in. He's inviting you in today. So are you listening? Will you go out without knowing where you're going? Will you trust him? I hope you will because when you step into God's story, you don't always need to know where you're going in the short run when you know who you're going with and when you know where you're going to in an ultimate sense. And so let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace in Jesus. Thank you for the ways that you call us and draw us to yourself in spite of us. Thank you that you make yourself known to each of us uniquely and personally. Would you continue to give us grace to hear your call and to to heed your call and to honor your call with the ways that we live our lives and the ways that we step forward 
by faith even when we know not where we're going. Thank you that you're writing a story of love and grace and redemption, not only for us, but, but with us and in us and through us. God, would you do that now? Would you make yourself and, and your promises all the more real in our hearts so that we might live and love boldly by faith? In Jesus' name, amen.